Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. I just pray that you would equip me to rightly divide your word of truth as well as those who are teaching in various places on this campus. I pray for all of us to have open and receptive hearts for whatever you decide to share with us. I also pray that you'll empower us to obey, to apply your word to our lives. And so, Lord God, may you equip us tonight and We also pray that you will be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So once again, Genesis 4, verses 1 through 15, something is missing. So, so far in our studies, we've seen the fall of man, that is mankind, humans, male and female. So we saw that in Genesis chapter 3. And so they fell from innocence. They fell from fellowship with God. They fell from that perfect state in which they were created. Because when they were created, they were not created with a sin nature. So all of this happened because of sin. The fall of man is because of sin. We see that Eve was deceived and Adam was just disobedient. He received the commandment from God that he could eat from every tree in the Garden of Eden, except for one, and that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But yet and still, he ate that fruit. And we also saw the consequences that was brought upon the serpent, Satan, Eve, and Adam. We also saw that Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden of Eden. And so in tonight's study, we're going to see the introduction of two new characters or people. We're going to see Cain and Abel. So we're going to get into this and we're going to pray that the Lord will show us whatever he wants to show us. And so we're not just reading and just studying just for information purposes. And so yes, it's good to uh, interpret the scriptures properly and to remember what happened. But even more importantly, it's important for us to glean from the word of God some points of application. Whatever it is, the Lord will have us to apply to our lives right now. And so that's what I would call a timely word. So we ask the Lord for a timely word, something that we need to hear right here, right now. And he knows exactly what we need. And so in Genesis 4, verse 1, it says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife. She conceived and bore Cain. And she said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And so this birth of Cain It is actually the first birth that was recorded in the Bible. So when Adam and Eve were created, they were uh, created as adults. They were full grown. And so here you have the first birth that is recorded. And the name Cain means possession or gotten. And what Eve acknowledged here is that the Lord helped her in acquiring a man from the Lord. And of course, she was speaking of Cain, this child to whom she had just given birth. You know, some Bible teachers believe that it's possible that Eve had hoped that Cain was that promised seed that would bruise the head of the serpent, Satan, as stated in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And so some believe that this is what she thought about Cain. But of course, Cain was not that promised deliverer 
or Messiah. He was not that promised seed with the capital S, seed of the woman. Because first of all, man was involved in Cain's conception. So technically he was the, physically he was the seed of Adam because they both had to come together. It says that Adam knew Eve. He knew her in an intimate uh, sexual way. It's his wife. And so within the parameters of marriage between one uh, biological man and one biological woman, sex is acceptable in the sight of God. And so that's what happened. And so he's technically the seed of his father, but the Messiah, this deliverer that's promised in Genesis 3 verse 15 will be the seed of the woman. So Cain what was not him. And so once again, that seed of a woman in Genesis 3.15, it, it points to the fact that, that, that the Messiah would be conceived to a virgin, that man would not be involved, that he would be conceived in a miraculous way. In verse 2, it says, then she bore again, this time his, his brother Abel. And now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground, or he cultivated the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but in verse 5, he did not respect or regard Cain and his offering. He did not look approvingly upon Cain's offering, but he did look approvingly upon Abel and his offering. And as a result, it says in verse 5, Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. In other words, he looked annoyed. He looked hostile. Or some would say he looked despondent, which, which means that he had this depressed look on his face because of the rejection that he felt. But in these scriptures, we, we see the fourth character, the son Abel, their second son. Abel, by the way, means breath, means breath. Now, although both men, Cain and Abel, came from the same womb, had the same father, obviously, who was Adam, they, they could not be more different. The scriptures tell us here that Abel was a shepherd, whereas Cain was a farmer. Abel brought an offering to God from his flock. On the other hand, Cain's offering was of the fruit of the ground. We also see that God respected Abel's offering. We'll talk about why possibly later on, but God did not respect Cain's offering. Now, according to one Bible scholar named Henry Morris in the book, The Genesis Record, it says that there seems to have been a regular time and place at which men were allowed to meet God. Possibly the place was at the door of entrance to the garden where the cherubim, the, these angelic beings, had guarded the way to the tree of life. So that's possibly where they would have taken their offering. But, but another thing we get from this is that Cain, as far as looking at their differences, Cain was more of the hothead. He had a temper. But you don't get the impression that Abel was a hothead, that Abel had a temper. You don't get that impression. And we even see this today when, when it comes to children, those of us who are parents and we have more than one child. Even though in, in your situation, or in my particular situation, I can say, you know, all four of my children they come from same mom and dad, and we see differences in them. All these differences, they all have their, their, their different personalities. They all have their different interests and talents and strengths and weaknesses. 
You may see that in your household as well. Now, the scriptures do not command us to force them into a certain profession or force them to have a uniform personality. So so if one is a farmer and, and one is a shepherd like these two, we're not called to force them into the same profession according to the scriptures. Or if one is felt they feel led to be a doctor, the other one may be a lawyer or a teacher. We're not called once again to force them into a certain profession or to have a uniform personality just because they live in the same household or have come from the same parents. But what we should make sure of when it, when it regards our children is that they understand that they have come from the same creator. Just like Cain and Abel, they have the same creator. And we as parents are, are called to make sure that we teach them about their creator, which is the God of the Bible. And so as we go through the scriptures, and and yes, we're looking at some of these. This is history. These are narratives and so forth. We we are learning more about the character of God. We, We are learning more about God's attributes. And the attribute of God is something that is true about God. For example, when the scriptures say that God is love, love is an attribute of God. It is something that is true of him that he has revealed to mankind through the scriptures. And so our job as parents is not to try to force them into uniform personality or whatever the case may be, but to ensure that they all know who their creator is, and that they have a personal relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ. We see from these scriptures here as Cain's offering was not respected by God, it was rejected. We see that Cain became very angry with God and he fell into the state of depression. He was despondent. And sometimes even us, we can get um, angry and we begin to pout when things don't go our way. And so we complain about things, but indirectly, we're really complaining about God. We may not say it and, and say it exactly to God or specifically to God, but, but really it's a complaint against God in an indirect way. And, and so we can have this attitude of Cain when, when things don't go our way. But the thing is, or the problem is, is that some would rather for God to change instead of seeing what God wants and, and then doing what he wants. But, but no, we want God to change so that we can feel okay and feel comfortable doing what we want to do. But God here wasn't going to change, so it didn't make sense for Cain to pout, and it doesn't make sense for us to pout. What makes sense for us is to get in line with with. Uh, what God will is for our life. That's the best thing we can do, fall in line with his will. In verse 6, it says, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? So why do you look annoyed? Why do you look despondent, Cain? God asked him. And so in the previous chapter, chapter 3 of Genesis, God asked Adam a question in chapter 3, verse 9. But then here you see that he asked Cain a couple of questions. And note this, that God didn't ask these questions because he did not know the answer. Because the scriptures tell us that he knows what's in the heart of man. He knows everything. But but he's given them a chance to, to come clean. Or confess. Now, what's interesting for us is that questions may come up to us as we read the Bible and as we are participating in Bible studies. Questions will come up. 
during those studies or, or even in that still small voice. We just sense the Lord speaking to you. And these questions will give us an opportunity to reflect on the reasons for our actions and the reasons for our thoughts. And then it will give us an opportunity to confess. And so I wonder if you've ever been in that place, you're just reading through the scriptures and all of a sudden you are convicted. Take a pause, reflect, and if necessary, confess what's going on. Confess how how you're feeling. Lord, I'm, I'm angry. I'm discouraged. I'm frustrated. He already knows how you feel. You might as well share it with him. Lord, I'm heartbroken, whatever the case may be. Lord, I've I've sinned the other day and I haven't confessed it to you. And I'm using this opportunity to confess to you my sin. And so as we're doing our reading or like I said, even since that still small voice. Take an opportunity to 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 pause and reflect on the on the why when it comes to our current emotional and and our spiritual uh, positions. Some people may ask, why, why, God, do I get upset when when the truth from the word is used to challenge my current worldview? When, When people get upset when somebody uses the word of God to challenge whatever their worldview is, that that tells me that there are some strongholds there that need to be pulled down. And what are the strongholds? The strongholds, first of all, a literal stronghold, stronghold is, a, is a fortress. It's a place of protection. And so a spiritual stronghold is an argument that is used to protect a certain worldview. So somebody has a certain unbiblical worldview and they're using arguments or strongholds, whether it's in their mind or verbally to protect whatever their worldview is. And as we engage in spiritual warfare, well, we can pull down those strongholds by the power of the Holy Spirit and do the word of God. So when people share something based on their worldview, protecting their worldview, and it's non-biblical. We can share with them the word of God, and the Holy Spirit can use that to pull down those strongholds or, or those arguments and bring their thoughts into subjection to Christ. And so when people get upset, but when truth from the word is used to challenge their current worldview, that's what's going on. So there's some strongholds that need to pull down, be pulled down. And so as you're reflecting upon the word or as the Lord speaks to you in that still small voice, ask yourself, Lord, why am I get upset, getting upset because the truth was shared? I should be happy. I should be willing to fall in line. Or maybe as you reflect in, some people may ask, why do I get upset? When I'm told that my behavior is not acceptable, when I'm told that my behavior is sin, why do I get upset about that? Some people may take an opportunity or need to take an opportunity to pause, reflect and confess what's going on. And so a person in that situation, what they would probably need to confess, I would say, is that there's pride. Lord, I admit, as I reflected on this, I admit that there's pride there. That's why I get upset. Some may reflect as they pause and they may ask themselves, why do I last shout at others for no apparent reason? So maybe the Lord will reveal to them and get them to that place of confession. Well, well, maybe I'm not mad at this person that I'm lashing out at. Maybe I'm mad at that person, at that, at that boss or whatever it may be that I, that I really don't have the courage to speak with. And to vent to, and so I'm going to take it out on everybody else. Or maybe that's where some people are, but 
But the Lord would ask you the same question that he asked Cain. Why are you angry? Why are you annoyed? Why are you despondent? Use that opportunity to reflect and confess whatever is going on. And now allow the Lord to remove whatever that bitter root may be. In verse 7, it says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you shall rule or master over it. That, that same construction and that same Hebrew word, uh, by the way, for desire is used, and I pointed this out, was used uh, last week. You know, when, when the Lord addressed the woman in, in Genesis 3.16, where it says, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. It's the same construction. It's the same Hebrew word. And so sin has this desire to overpower Cain, but, but Cain is supposed to rule over it. But one thing I like about here about this question that the Lord asked him is that the Lord is actually giving Cain an opportunity to make the necessary corrections. Okay, Cain, you messed up. I didn't accept your offering. But, but if you do well, will you not be accepted? Here's a chance to go back and get it right. And instead of sitting around and being angry and pouting. And that's one thing I just love about the Lord is that he gives us another chance many, many times to get it right. Sometimes second, third, fourth chances to get it right. But my question to you is, are we taking advantage of those second, third, fourth chances to, to go back and get it right, to, to correct whatever our mistake was? As he doesn't have to give us more than one opportunity, but, but he does many times. He's a merciful God, a gracious God. But another thing I don't want to overlook here in verse 7 is that God uses figurative language to present the fact that sin was crouching like a lion at the door of Cain's life. And, and this, this, this sin lion, this lion of sin, so to speak, he's just waiting to pounce over Cain and just rule over him and overpower him. However, Cain should be the one that that masters sin, that doesn't allow sin to have this overpowering rule in his life. And so as people who have a sin nature, which is all of us in here, everybody in this world. Jesus, by the way, although fully God, fully man, he's the only one without a sin nature. He wasn't born of the seed of a man. Specifically seed of the woman. But the rest of us, we have a sin nature. So as people who have a sin nature, just want to share with you what was shared with Cain here in our study is that, is that sin is ready to pounce on us as well. Sin is ready to overpower us as well. See, sin, by the way, is a, is a harsh slave master. In fact, this is what Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 34. Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Commits here, this is, this is a habitual sin. This is your, your way of life. This is the rule of your life. That shows that you are a slave of sin. And many of us have been there, including myself. I was at one point a slave of sin. That was once a rule of my life. Romans 6, 16 says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey? 
whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. So unfortunately, there are some who are presenting themselves as slaves to sin. This crouching lion, this this harsh slave master, so to speak. But, but praise God that Jesus is the one who sets us free from, from sin. Not only the power of sin, but first of all, from the penalty of sin. The scriptures tells us that the penalty of sin is death. And so we see that because of sin, the sin of Adam and Eve, it brought physical death upon mankind and upon even the animal kingdom bought physical death. And it didn't happen right away, obviously, but it happened. But sin also brought this penalty of spiritual death where now there's this separation between man and God. And so in order for somebody to be spiritually alive, they need to be born again spiritually through repentance and and trust in Jesus for salvation. But then, of course, there's eternal death. It's part of the penalty of sin. So in other words, if a person dies in their spiritually dead state without ever receiving Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord, then there's eternal death in hell. And Jesus explained it as explain hell as somewhere eternal. But Jesus, once again, is the one who sets us free from the penalty of sin. He sets us free from the power of sin. He breaks the chain of this harsh slave master in our lives. And as a result, we can rule over sin, so to speak, and and not allow sin to get the best of us. So, So I would... Encourage all of you to not let sin have its way in our lives. Oh, it's crouching, but do not let sin to overpower you, to master over you. You've been crucified with Christ. The old you have been crucified with him. So reckon it to be so, which is a word of faith. Reckon it to be so and then present yourselves to God. Present yourself instead as a slave of obedience leading to righteousness. And and we can do this by walking in the spirit. And so we can choose to do that even as born again believers. We can choose to walk in the spirit or be hard headed and and not. And what's going to happen is that you're going to grieve the spirit. But walk in the spirit. And the scriptures tell us that if we do that then we won't fulfill the desires of our flesh because our flesh, our sin nature, it wants to sin. And so take that advice that God gave to to Cain that we should rule over sin. In verse 8, back in Genesis 4, it says, Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, And there's a couple of um, old texts like the Samaritan, Pentateuch, the Septuagint, Syriac, and Vulgate. They add the following words. They say, and let us go out into the field. So they add the words of Cain to his brother in in some of those older texts, those manuscripts. But, But Cain talked with his brother. And it came to pass that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and he killed him. And so we see a lot of firsts in the book of Genesis. It's the book of beginnings. And so, uh, unfortunately, we saw the first sin and we saw the, um, you know, the first um, birth of a, of a baby. And, and now here, this is an unfortunate thing here. We see the first murder, the first recorded murder in the Bible. This is murder. He planned this. 
This wasn't something that happened. This, this wasn't manslaughter where it happened accidentally. No, he planned this. No, he talked with this brother, got him to where he wanted him. And then he rose up and he killed him. He murdered him. And so obviously sin was able to fulfill its desire to rule over Cain instead of the opposite happening. But here's the thing. What does the Bible say about murder? What does the Bible say about it? Can can one be a murderer without committing the physical act of murder? Well, that's going to take us to 1 John chapter 3, verse 15. It says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So hate, hating someone, hating his brother. It says is if you do that, you're you're a murderer. It's like committing that physical act because this is the type of attitude one would have before the physical act of murder takes place. And so, yes, one can be a murderer without committing the physical act of it. But but I like what Jesus does. He he also gets to the heart of the matter. He goes deeper in and, and, and once again, he, he doesn't just touch on the physical act of murder, but he touches on the heart of the issue, the heart of the matter. He touches on even further having this murderous attitude, if you will. You see, the murderous attitude could lead to or at least be the seed to the physical act of murder, just like hate. You see, in Matthew chapter 5, and this is in the New Living Translation, in verses 21 and 22, it says, You have heard that our ancestors were told, this is Jesus speaking, You must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. And so this is not righteous indignation, by the way. This is not righteous indignation. This, this is ungodly type of anger. It says you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, literally, this is raka. It means empty-headed man. It's an Aramaic term of abuse that puts someone down. It insults someone's intelligence. Call someone an idiot or raka then you are in danger of being before the court, which would be the Sanhedrin, which was the great council at Jerusalem at the time. And if you curse someone or call somebody a fool, which, which means that you're showing contempt for their character, it says you are in danger of the fires of hell. And, and the Greek word that's behind this word hell is Gehenna. This is this will be the uh, this will be that eternal lake of fire in Revelation chapter 20. And so these are the seeds of murder, this this hate, this 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 ungodly anger, this, you know, calling somebody an idiot, so to speak, or insulting one's intelligence, putting someone down, things like that, showing contempt for someone's character. Uh, These are the seeds of what could eventually lead to literal or physical murder. So I I would ask the question, do we have seeds of murder against anyone? Someone that maybe even as you Christians are maybe cursing out in your head, in your minds. Someone that you're bitter against, and the bitter of, bitterness, of course, can turn into hate. That's why the scriptures tell us, do not let the sun go down upon our wrath. When we do that, we leave the door cracked open for the enemy. We, we give the enemy, we give the devil an opportunity to put his foot in the door and to widen that gap, to stir up the root of bitterness and even lead to hatred, that murderous type of attitude. So do we have the seeds of murder against anyone? 
See, these seeds could be within our hearts. Once again, Jesus gets to the heart of the matter and say, so I would say to guard your heart. Matthew chapter 15, verse 19 says, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemy. So what is the condition of your heart? Because whatever condition your heart is in, that's what's going to flow out of it. Verse 9, back in Genesis 4, it says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I his guardian? Or is it my job to take care of my brother? You see, Cain, first of all, lied. And then second of all, he got sarcastic with God. And then he, he showed no concern. About his brother shows no repentance. And so this showed that his heart was evil and callous. It was hardened. Not only that, but he did not keep in mind who he was talking to. He's just talking back to God. And once again, we could be this way as well. But, but we need to keep in mind who we're talking to be, before we start lying to the Lord and talking back to the Lord, getting sarcastic with the Lord. And you may not do that verbally or mentally, but you may do that with your actions by reject, rejecting his will that's displayed in his word. But we need to keep in mind who we're talking to. We're talking to an all-knowing God of justice. We can't lie to him. You can try to lie to him, but, but, but God is always going to know the truth. So this is an all-knowing God of justice. We need to remember that Cain obviously didn't think about that. In verse 10, it says, and he says, speaking of God, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So Abel's blood, by the way, was not literally crying out. This is what you would call figurative language. And and so if you want to think about what type of figurative language is used, well, humans cry out. So this will be an example of personification of blood, for example. And so his blood is, is crying out. And so what's going on is that it's expressing that justice is called for due to this evil act of murder. That's, that's all it's saying, that there's justice that is being called for because of murder. And the thing is that we are not supposed to be the avengers. But, but notice that but the, the, his brother's blood is crying out for the avenger. And the true avenger is the Lord. And so when it comes to being wronged personally, ultimately, God will handle the situation in a just way. When, when we get a hold of things, it's, it's not going to be handled in a just way all the time. We're going to do it with, a, with an impure attitude, an impure motive. Oh, but God's motive is always right. It's always holy. There's always love mixed in. There's always mercy mixed in, even when he handles things in a just way. And so Abel's blood was crying out for vengeance from the just one, and that is the Lord. In the verses 11 and 12, it says, so now... This is God speaking to Cain. You are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And so Cain here, he heard his consequences uh, for his sin of murder. And so first of all, the earth was not going to bring forth fruit for him anymore. That was devastating because remember, Cain was a tiller of the ground. He was a farmer. So that's his livelihood is, is gone. He won't always be as successful at, at what he had always done. 
won't be as successful. And not only that, but he's going to have a hard time finding food because of his sin, because of these consequences. But he'll also be a wanderer and he'll always be on the run. And and he won't have a, a permanent home anymore. So one one version says he'll be in perpetual exile without a home, a degraded outcast. In verses 13 and 14, it says, and Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I should be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond, a restless wanderer on on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. So Cain is distraught. He's distraught due to this judgment that has been given. And one of his concerns uh, is that he feared that someone would find him and kill him. But wait a minute, how could this be? There's Adam, there's Eve. There's Cain and there was Abel. So how could this be? How could he fear that that, that someone else would kill him? Aren't aren't they the only people on the earth at this point? Where where did all the other people come from? Some would ask. Some would ask you that question trying to trap you as a Christian to, to show how the Bible is inconsistent or really not the word of God. But there's simple answer to the question because back in verse 3 it says in the process of time which means that in the process of time they would have had other sons and daughters oh our pastor Darrell you're just guessing okay well Genesis chapter 5 verse 4 after he begot Seth the days of Adam were 800 years and he had sons and daughters And so in the process of time, it doesn't tell us how long it was before Cain and Abel were in the field and Cain killed Abel. We just know that it was in the process of time. Decades, hundreds of years could have gone by. They were living long. And notice also this, when it comes to genealogies in the Bible, the Bible does not list every single person in the genealogy, but it, but it lists those who are relevant to the story or those who are um, relevant to the lineage of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And, and so that's why he would be concerned that there's other people out there who, who would kill him because there's, there's other people out there at this point. And so Adam's family, Adam and Eve's family, so to speak, are spreading and their offsprings have an offspring. And like I said, and Adam would end up living, I believe, 930 years. We didn't get to that part yet. That's, only, that's how long he's going to live. Imagine how many offsprings he would have and how many grandchildren he would have, how many children their grand, his grandchildren would have had. A, a simple reading of the scriptures in detail would resolve a lot of the issues if people are open to it. Resolve a lot of the questions people have. But one thing we can do is take a lesson from Cain's situation. And a lesson that we can take from this is that there are consequences to sin. And I have to say that because like Cain, people don't always think of the consequences of their sin before they sin. And praise God, I have this, you know, not saying that I don't ever sin, Because unfortunately, I have, even after becoming a Christian, and when the Lord revealed that to me, I confessed and repented, got back in fellowship with him, didn't lose my salvation, but just got back on the same page with the Lord in those cases. So so even with me, for me, I'm not saying for all of you, I, I, I get a little, the teacher in me comes out, so I get a little checklist. Or like a multiple choice in my brain before I do something or say something that I shouldn't do. And it's literal for me. And maybe that's the Holy Spirit doing that within me. Somebody does something that I should be angry about. Check A, no, no, B, no, C, no, D, that's the best answer. 
Why? Because I don't want to ruin my testimony and I don't want to close off any future opportunity I may have in witnessing to that person who acted crazy with me. And so all these checklists are in my brain. That's the way my brain works. Sorry. But, but that's the, I mean, that's how the Holy Spirit does it with me. But, but some people don't always think of the consequences of their sin before they sin. And one thing, just, just to go back in this, it just came up. The Lord has even allowed me to have dreams to where I've sinned in the dream and see what would happen if I were to do that sin. And there's been plenty of times I will wake up just like excited and praising God that that wasn't real. Like, thank you, Lord. Because he used that dream to keep me on the straight and narrow. And there was literally one time that that dream seemed so real that I was involved in a sinful act, something I wouldn't even do. And I literally woke up and praised God out loud that it was just a dream. But the Lord even works with me like that. But I would just encourage you once again to, to think about the consequences of sin before participating in that sinful act because once again Cain obviously didn't do that and then he began to complain my punishment is greater than I can bear verse 15 it says and the Lord said to him therefore whoever kills Cain vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold the amplified version says that is punishment will be seven times worse And the Lord said a mark or a sign on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. We don't know what that mark is, so I'm not going to throw out any theories. But he set this mark or this sign upon him to prevent him from being killed by someone else. And so even in judgment, God was merciful to Cain. He was merciful to Cain. That means he didn't give Cain what he really deserved. Because what Cain really deserved was death. And because that was the consequence for murder. And we won't see that until he gets to Noah in Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 and 6. But that was the consequence for it. But he didn't give him that. He just put a protective mark upon him, protective sign upon him. And yes, there were consequences, but he didn't allow anybody else. God didn't allow anybody else to kill Cain. The mercy of God. May we ever appreciate the mercy of God. May we always sing and praise him for his mercy. And, And so the question of the day is, why was Abel's offering accepted by God, but Cain's offering was not. Was it because Abel offered an animal sacrifice whose blood was used to atone for his sin and thus allowed him to approach God? Were Cain and Abel instructed to do that? The scriptures don't necessarily say that they were instructed to bring a certain type of sacrifice. You won't find that previous to Genesis chapter four. That they were specifically instructed to bring a certain sacrifice. But what we do know when it comes to the various sacrifices as we keep reading through the scriptures is that, yes, God did accept blood offerings from certain animals. In fact, we we've seen the suggestion of that in Genesis 3:21 when God made Adam and Eve tunics of animal skin. Again, we see that later on in the scriptures because the Israelites were given instructions on certain offerings like the burnt offerings. Offering sheep or goats, we see that in Leviticus chapter 1 for example. However, God also accepted grain offerings. So he accepted both types. You see that in the scriptures as well. Leviticus chapter 2. Where God 
went over or he gave Israelites instructions on how to offer grain offerings. So not so sure that it was just that reason. But, but what the Bible is clear on is that Abel had something that was missing in Cain. What we see in the scriptures is that what Cain had missing was faith. Which is what the Bible is clear about. Because Abel gave his offering in faith. You see, by faith, Abel offered the best of his flock. He offered the firstborn. He offered the fat of it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 gives us the answer. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. So God testified that Abel's gifts were acceptable and righteous. Why? Because God accepted it. According to Hebrews 11, 4, and through it, Abel, he being dead, still speaks. So as we read the scriptures, we still see Abel's faith. We still talking about Abel's faith in the scriptures. So through his faith, Abel still speaks. And so by faith, Abel, Abel, he offered that Excellent sacrifice to God. And that's why Cain's sacrifice wasn't accepted. That was the missing ingredient for him. The missing ingredient was Cain's faith. You see, the thing with Cain is that he represents someone who does religious acts without a relationship with God that is based on faith. He did not have a faith relationship with God, but he was was doing religious things like offering this sacrifice. And so he represents, Cain represents empty religion. His worship was on the surface level and, and therefore his worship was not accepted. He didn't have a faith-based relationship with God. Therefore, he didn't have a right standing with God. Therefore, he was not declared righteous as Abel was declared righteous because of Abel's faith. So ultimately, Cain's heart was not right with God. So which means that, by the way, even if he would have offered a blood sacrifice, his offering would not have been accepted because his heart was not right with God. His relationship with the Lord, once again, was not based on faith. In fact, Proverbs twenty-one twenty-seven says that the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with wicked intent? And so if Cain represents the empty religion, then Abel represents someone who has a faith-based relationship with God, a relationship with the Lord through faith in Christ. And it's through Christ only, which means that he had a right standing with God. That is the only way a person will be declared righteous or will be justified or have a right standing with the Lord. That is the only way someone will become a citizen of heaven and spend eternity with God. That is through a faith-based relationship with him through none other than Jesus Christ. And so Abel represents the faith-based relationship. Therefore, his worship was true worship and was accepted by the Lord. Now, I wonder if anybody watching or anybody in this place could be following Cain's example of practicing a dead religion. A religion is where man try to do his own works, do things his own way to try to earn his own way into heaven. For example, attending church, but not really a part of the church. In other words, some are tares. They look like wheat, but they're really tares or weeds. So I hang around the church, but I'm not really a part of it because I haven't been baptized by the spirit into the church. Haven't been born again. So that's an example of someone 
practicing a dead religion. Some would even reference Bible verses, but they're not born again because the word is not in them. Oh, they can quote the word, but they don't really have the word indwelling them. Or some would give offerings, but not the offering of their lives to him, to the Lord. Dead religion, the way of Cain. But Ephesians 2 Verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we've been saved through faith. Why? Because of God's grace, his unmerited favor. We don't earn salvation. We receive it by faith in Christ Jesus. And this salvation, by the way, is not something we can earn on our own, but salvation, by the way, is a gift of God that we receive. It's grace received by faith, not of works. Oh, Cain, he, should, he didn't have this verse. It's not of works. It's not of empty religion, lest anyone should boast. One who practiced a dead religion like Cain, would try to establish a relationship with God on their own terms. Where instead, once again, the faith, the trust in Jesus Christ is necessary for salvation. But for the believer, and I know many of you and your believers, Bible-believing Christians, and so I know some of the message sounded evangelistic, but there is a message for you as well, brother and sister in Christ. In Romans 12, 1, it says, I beseech you, I plead with you, therefore, brethren. Notice it uses brethren talking to Christians by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or your spiritual service of worship. Or in other words, this is your true worship when you when you present to God your bodies as a living sacrifice. And so as believers, we can we can be more like Abel. In this faith-based relationship, in this faith-based fellowship, by offering our bodies to the Lord as a living sacrifice, as we remember all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus, by faith, that's the key word tonight, present your bodies a living sacrifice to God, which means that we allow God to mold us into the image of Christ. Which means that we say, Lord, have your way. This is the body that you created. You are the one who saved me. You are the God of my life and I present my body to you. Have your way within me and mold me into the image of Jesus. Help me to be more like Jesus in my thoughts. Help me to be more like Jesus in my words. Help me to be more like Jesus in my actions. And so I present my body to you. I don't want to use my body as a slave of sin, but, but, but Lord, I am your slave. I am your servant. Have your way within me. That is the attitude of someone who would present themselves as a living sacrifice to the Lord as the worship team takes the stage and would also say as a person who presents their bodies as a living sacrifice that, that you would also allow him to not just mold you into the image of Jesus, but to also allow him to use you for your glory. In other words, you have that heart attitude that says, Lord, here I am. Use me for your glory. Use me for your honor. Do that by faith. And speaking of faith, speaking of Jesus, we're going to have communion service as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus. And so as believers, as Christians, we remember the fact as we partake of the bread, the cracker, that'll be here as part of the elements here in front and in the back. Remember that the cracker, that bread, represents his body and the, the um, blood is represented by the juice. And as we do that, we remember his sacrifice for us. 
And so let's pray and then um, I'll take my seat and then you can grab the elements as, as you feel led. Father, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for Jesus' sacrifice and we pray your blessings, Lord, over the elements as we partake in remembrance of you. And if there's any sin in our lives, I pray that you reveal it to us that we may confess. And we thank you, Lord, that you are a God who's able to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church, and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.